This is Tracy Davis, and with me is my partner and co-host, Tanya Esposito, and this is the Financial Law Forum. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Financial Law Forum podcast. Uh, We're absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Elena Lazaro, and I hope I said that appropriately, but she will correct me if I did not. Um, And she is with Capital One, and I'm going to hand it over to her shortly to tell you precisely what her role is there. But I'm also joined today, uh, of course, my apologies, (laughs) Tracy Davis, my partner and co-founder of this uh, podcast. And so we want to wish everyone a happy new year and hope it's off to a very good start and that everyone is healthy and and doing well. Um, Tracy, I don't know if you have any other introductory remarks before I turn it over to Elena to introduce herself. No, I'm just thrilled to have Elena here with us today and to talk about uh, what we think is a really good topic to start off 2022. Um, level set us all in redirecting our attention to uh, DNI and how we can enhance uh, the attorney representation in the financial services industry. So happy to be here. Thanks, Tanya and Tracy, and you know, thanks for having me. I'm really excited uh, to be here and to talk about these important topics. Uh, so, by way of background, I'm Elena Lazaro. So, pronounced correctly. Thank you. Uh, As far as my uh, personal and professional background, you know, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, to parents who immigrated here from the island of Cyprus. I am the first person to go to law school in my family. And after attending Boston University for college, I went to Brooklyn Law School and then spent most of my legal career at Reed Smith. Uh, where I was a partner in the financial institutions group. And then during the Great Recession in in 2008, I joined the legal department of GE Capital, where I was a member of the restructuring team and then the global litigation team. And then I joined Capital One's legal department six years ago after uh, Capital One acquired GE Capital's healthcare financial services business. I, uh, I now proudly live in New York City with my husband and two boys, and I apologize for the New York City noise in the background. No, no need to apologize at all. It's very, very authentic. Um, what an incredible background. Uh, and, you know, so it's interesting because you obviously have a varied perspective, right, having practiced at a big law firm and then transitioning to an in-house role at a major financial institution. Um, Ella, can you tell us a little bit about what your current role is um, with Capital One? Sure. So at at Capital One, I lead a team of 16 legal professionals that manage commercial bank litigation and restructuring. Uh, For four years, I I led Capital One's Northeast chapter of Empower Her, which is our women's business group, our business resource group. And I currently co-lead Capital One's Legal Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Committee, which is a committee comprised of members of the legal team uh, that are specifically committed to increasing inclusion and belonging in our legal department. Outside of that, I, uh, I sit on the board of America Scores New York, which is an organization dedicated to providing um, underserved New York City school children with programming, free programming uh, for soccer and poetry. And then I also sit on the legal advisory board of Legal Outreach, uh, which is an organization that is focused on creating a diverse pipeline in our legal profession. Excellent. Um, We're actively involved in legal outreach. So it's good to hear that we've got that uh, connection as well. They're a great organization doing wonderful, wonderful work. They are. Um, So uh, with, I'd just like to jump back a a second, you know, given what 
you're doing now at Cap One with uh, DNI, and, and you're obviously very much involved in in taking on the leadership in that space. How did you find the transitioning from private practice into in-house counsel effective in helping you to further along your aspirations and goals in enhancing diversity within the financial services space? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, I, I think ultimately when you transition from outside counsel to inside counsel, right, you become the client. The client, And with that becomes, uh, you know, has you have power uh, to engage people and to make change in people's careers. And when I think back on my career, um, I was really lucky for a number of reasons. I had sponsors who gave me access to clients and then those clients became my sponsors. And those clients were the driving force of the reason why, you know, I became partner because I got the credit and I got the invitations. And, and so, Seeing that unfold for me um, and then come in house and knowing that I have that power uh, to change people's careers by insisting that someone is on a matter or sending a matter directly to that person um, has really, you know, ha has really been an awesome tool. Uh, it, it really just has been an awesome tool uh, that, I'm, that I'm able to leverage. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, that sort of sentiment is shared by myself, um, you know, having led a team that is part of our financial services practice at Sidefar, working with clients who are similarly, you know, committed to ensuring that the team is diverse and that those folks are getting actual and real, um, and real experience, right? Um, meaning they're not just uh, a name on a piece of paper or a quiet sort of voice or presence in the room, rather sharing, you know, their thoughts and, and views and input on important legal aspects of what, whatever it is that we're helping clients with. And so um, I guess one question I would have for you is, you know, as someone who can now make those decisions on behalf of uh, Capital One, what are the types of things that you expect or that you are trying to incorporate into those engagements with outside counsel to ensure that the folks that are on your team and at law firms that you're hiring, right? That they are actually, um, A, being staffed on matters, right? So you're seeing diversity in the team itself, but that they're actually engaging substantively um, you know, uh, honing their skill set and uh, and getting credit. I mean, that's a big issue too, which you raised. Yeah. So, I mean, Capital One. I mean, just to take a step back, right, gives a majority of its work to its preferred provider network, right? It's our PPN, um, and those firms must complete and submit you know, the ABA model diversity survey to show a sufficient you know commitment to diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, and our legal management group conducts um, this survey every year um, and firms need to show metrics around the number of diverse firm attorneys, the number of diverse firm equity partners, the number of diverse attorneys in leadership, and to your point and your question, excuse me, the amount of diverse diversity, you know, attorney representation on Capital One matters specifically. Um, so we specifically inquire about diversity representation on Capital One Matters. And I personally, right, certainly look for this when my cases are staffed. Um, and I'm intentional about continually revisiting who our go-to outside counsel are, you know, even within this list, right? Because it's, it's, it's a list for the company and I have a, a specific practice group. So even within that list, I'm consistently trying to sort of refine and invest in firms um, that identify talented, diverse lawyers. And, and we're intentional about supporting them in any way we can. Like we have these conversations, like who's doing a good job, who's not doing a good job. And you know, if we identify, uh, you know, a, a junior associate that's doing an awesome job, like we are very loud about that to the relationship partners um, and that we ask that they be staffed on, on our matters. Um, so I look for firms that are training up junior diverse associates and I welcome those opportunities on, the, on my matters because I get it, you know, it's a training, right? And so I, I, I get it. I think it's an investment in, the future of my outside counsel 
Um, so even if it's you know going to cost a little more on one particular case, like it'll 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 pay dividends over the years. Um, and I'm not looking for short-term relationships with my outside counsel. I'm looking for long-term relationships. Sure. No, that that's a, a really important point. I think the investment is one that might cause pause initially just because, you know, the training piece, just speaking from a big law perspective, it's time consuming, right? It is uh, a commitment. And I think 99.9% .9 of the time when you have a breakdown with a younger associate, a diverse younger associate, you know, it is um, almost, in my experience, almost directly attributable to um, either a lack of understanding or lack of willingness to sort of, um, you know, provide those experiences that lead to the uh, development of skill sets and to prevent the siloing, right, of, um, of how, associates are staffed on things and to really make that investment of time. But more importantly for me, and I don't know if Tracy has news on this, I think one of the hardest things that I see with all associates and not necessarily, you know, this isn't unique to diverse associates in any way, being willing to take a real time uh, sort of break, if you will, or uh, moment to identify when someone's doing something really well like, hey, you know, this is, you've done a great job here. The client really appreciated it. Or you made my life much easier. I really, really appreciate it. Conversely, here's what I think you didn't do so well in this moment or on this task or for this client. And here's what I want you to consider going forward. I, I think that um, it is a rarity to find someone who both has control over a client relationship and is willing to have that conversation in real time, right? I think what happens many times at big law firms and probably all law firms is that, you know, you go through an evaluation process and then an associate finds out, you know, six, eight, nine, 12 months later that something they did was not up to par, that, you know, perhaps a client internal or external was displeased with something that they did. And so I really think that that's a big part um, of cultivating a culture of growth, of um, you know, of um, cooperation, and really fostering those relationships that become long-term relationships, both for the client and internally. And I don't, Tracy, I don't know if you had experiences or thoughts on that. No, I think you've hit much, um, uh, much of uh, what's out there on the diversity piece and trying to as we like to talk about establishing and growing the pipeline um, and making certain that uh, diverse young associate diverse attorneys are afforded the kind of access to opportunities that is critically important to not only skill development, but also to career growth. Um, you know, if they're not afforded those opportunities, then uh, their careers won't take the kind of trajectory that's needed to keep them in big law. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's any question that retention is constantly a source of, um, of uh, disappointment. Um, and I think that uh, for uh, us to all sort of do our part, even um, internally and externally, is to work on uh, the the, the belonging piece of the DEI um, equation. Um, and so with that, I, I'd just like to ask, what role does in-house counsel find it often serves in trying to create, you know, um, an environment where uh, the kinds of opportunities afforded to diverse attorneys facilitate that long-term trusted kind of relationship. Um, if you want to speak to that, Elena. Sure. Um, and I, I, I just echo everything that you have said. I mean, what we've, what I've seen from surveys and, you know, other articles are, you know, diverse associates in law firms in particular struggle from the lack of sponsorships and the lack of opportunities uh, to high profile matters. And I think that's a result of, you know, long standing, you know, biases, like me biases, unconscious biases. Um, and so, 
you know, we need to sort of combat that. And, and, you know, at Capital One, I mean, there is extensive training on these points. We are trained on unconscious bias. We are trained, um, this is part of our performance management, it's part of our talent management. The executives, such as myself, have undergone 40 hours of uh, racial equity training. Um, you know, we have folks that sit in on our, you know, performance management discussions for the sole purpose of, of listening out for biases um, and, and calling them out. Someone from like another team uh, who has, you know, no uh, personal information around the person that's being discussed, right? Um, so, so we're really focused on it and um, developing that inclusion, which I think Tracy, you raised, and it's incredibly important because, you know, Obviously, we need to focus on the representation um, and, and folks, organizations like Legal Outreach and you know, other organizations are, are really great for that because we, we need to fix the pipeline, right? Uh, but we also need to retain and attract associates and that only comes with a culture of belonging. So um, I mentioned at the outset, I co-lead uh, the legal department's uh, committee, which is called Advocate uh, on, you know, diverse inclusion and belonging. And, and really our focus is the belonging. And we really stay close to our, you know, our legal department through surveys, through, um, you know, we have, we have a committee specifically stood up to give us feedback. Um, it's funded uh, by the general counsel. He spends a lot of time with us and on this initiative of just belonging, right? Uh, we, we take, you know, surveys, we look at scores, we really try and unpack and reach people um, who may not be feeling like they belong in our, our legal department. And our, our goal is 100% uh, inclusion and belonging uh, in our legal department. So I think it's culture, right? I mean, I think you need to, you need to really invest in the culture and it's a long game, uh, but it pays off um, because I, I think, you know, where you're in an environment where folks' opinions are valued um, and, and some of the things that I think, Tanya, you had raised were also feedback culture. Because I think also feedback is important because you, you need, everyone is going to fail. Everyone, you know, needs that sponsor mentor to tell them, you know, you've done this wrong. So that immediate real-time feedback is also part of the culture of Capital One in a very good way. Um, you know, we're, we're very much about feedback because we're very much focused on investing in our talent. Um, so we wanna invest in the people that work at our company. And so it is important to us to give that feedback in real time. That's great, I love that we're a feedback culture. I'm gonna have to use that going forward because I think it should be front and center for many, many people. Um, so, Relatedly, I have two questions for you. The first is, um, given all the you know, hard and important work that you're doing at Capital One, do you see it uh, sort of um, paying off, right, internally for your team in terms of retention of diverse talent? Um, and what are, you know, what do you think are some of the most specific um, actions or components of you know, the way you all are approaching this, you know, culture of inclusion so that you're retaining folks and retaining talent. And separately, you know, this is the time of year <laughs> at law firms, right, where you see uh, departures, right? And um, that can be related to one of a million things. The market is clearly very competitive, you know, and, and there's a great demand for highly talented associates now. And so, um, I think folks have those opportunities. Um, beyond that, I think, you know, we see folks just um, unhappy with the way things are going and they make a move for one reason or another, but it's always very disappointing um, from the law firm perspective to see the numbers, uh, for, for me, I'll speak to, to my views on this personally, um, you know, when I see an, a substantial number of diverse associates um, moving on, it really causes me pause and, and, you know, I want to dig and investigate and figure out like what happened here? How could we not have, um, uh, reversed course on this one, right? Or why didn't, why weren't some of these issues, you know, sort of raised earlier to the extent there are issues. And I know there are clearly HR boundaries and other, um, 
limits, right, on those on some of those discussions. But I'd just love to know what your reaction is as a client, right, when you see that one or more diverse attorneys that may have been staffed on your matters depart, right? And what is that conversation like to the extent you can share any of that information? Well, I mean, listen, it's not always a bad news story, right? Uh, I, I, it's, it's unfortunately, sometimes it's a good news story, right? Because sometimes the awesome, you know, associate on my matters landed, you know, a, 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 a bigger and better job, you know, whether that's in-house business or, you know, whatever their career trajectory is. So I guess what I'm seeing at this moment right now are, you know, people moving for better opportunities. And I, I, I don't think um, it's because, I mean, I think that's also a good thing, right? I mean, I'd like to be a part of sort of the, the, the process that's training up and giving, you know, associates these wings right, to fly. Uh, and, and so that it's, it's not necessarily always a bad news story. So I, I try and keep a positive lens on it. Um, but for me, I mean, it's really a risk um, in particular, given what I do. I mean, we are in the litigation and restructuring group and um, my team can't really, I mean, I, I absolutely need a diverse set of perspectives for, for what we're doing. Otherwise, you know, we're gonna get something wrong. Um, so I, I think for me, it's important to just, include, you know, inclusiveness, include everyone in the discussion, be thoughtful around the assignments, um, you know, sort of to your point, Tanya, like not everyone needs to be an expert, like you need to let people fail and learn on the job. Um, and I think giving people those opportunities and being thoughtful around how you're doling out those opportunities um, so that, you know, it isn't, okay, this person's a go-to person, right? The goal should not be to have go-to people. The goal should be to develop, you know, your team um, so that they all sort of have the skills and, and are, are not siloed. Um, so I think it's important keeping folks engaged um, is an important part of retention, making sure they feel included, um, making sure, you know, so I spend a lot of time with everyone on my team, even folks that don't report to me, just to check in. So this is a big lift. I learned from another manager here at Capital One who was excellent. I mean, really just spent a lot of time checking in at all levels of the organization, right? Because there are sort of a couple levels that, you know, I don't interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so having that monthly catch up where I say, listen, I know I'm not your manager, but I want to know what's going on. How are you feeling? You know, and, and those conversations, I think are really worth the time. Um, they bring you closer to, you know, your, your team members, you help develop those relationships, make sure people feel supported. Um, so I think, I think things like that are really important. Um, and again, you know, our, Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Committee is focused on also having like difficult conversations and raising issues. Um, so folks, um, you know, understand that they should be bringing their true selves to work. And, you know, ultimately that, that'll lead to happier associates. Um, so we, we, we spend a lot of time in the leadership context, in the DIB context of just creating this environment. And I think that is how you, uh, manage, you know, retention and attract new talent, right? You mentioned um, having uh, the unfortunate um, obligation to have difficult conversations. Are there any trends that you want to sort of share with us that you may find in that space? Um, no, I, other than I think there's an appetite to have difficult conversations as a department. Um, you know, we, we, we schedule sort of, you know, a variety of different events. We do so much, right? But, but like we, we, when something is going on, like we, we, we address it head on, like we'll set up a safe space, um, you know, to talk about it um, and maybe offer some content. And I always leave those events proud uh, because I think it brought us closer as a legal department. Um, and I think there is an appetite to do that more and more. Um, so as uncomfortable as sometimes it is, I think having those difficult conversations becomes more of a norm and um, people get more and more comfortable and, and, and really just closer to their colleagues because they're able to interact with them on topics that they wouldn't in their day-to-day. -day. Um, and that time and space is created 
intentionally for us to do so. That makes sense. Um, you know, we've been in this sort of, seems like uh, we're going on, you know, several years of this COVID uh, error that we're in. And, you know, we had, a, I think, a momentary reprieve where folks were slowly starting to get back into the office and we were able to engage a little bit in person. And it seems like that's going to be on pause, at least for the short term, given what's happening with variant and beyond. But, um, you know, there have been a number of attempts to keep people and particularly diverse talent connected virtually, right, throughout this pandemic. And we've, Tracy and I have been very involved in what we're doing at Cypher. We also have personal commitments to a number of organizations that um, are doing the same. And so we often partner with our client base and in prospective clients to, to put on programming. And um, I think we've done some very thoughtful, uh, meaningful sessions that we've got great feedback on and have started uh, you know, some conversations that I think were much needed and, and welcomed. But I'm always curious from, um, from your perspective, you know, as the client, what of those programs, um, if any, right, do you find to the extent that you're, well, I guess it's two different categories from an internal perspective, you know, trying to keep that connection and that openness in a virtual world, what do you think is most effective? Um, and separately, um, you know, when you're asked to partner with law firms and the extent, to the extent that you do on any sort of DEI initiatives, what do you find to be um, the most effective, the most compelling, the best use of your time? Yeah, great, great questions. Um, so it's, listen, it's, this virtual environment has been a challenge for sure. Um, it, you know, there is a silver lining, um, you know, I do feel, well, networking is incredibly important for everyone, in particular, diverse associates, right? So in some ways, it's been easier to network because I don't have to leave my living room uh, to do so. Uh, I, can, I can grab 15 minutes with whoever and have that intimate conversation over video. And it's not ideal, but it works. Like it works, it works, it, it, you know, and you're able to start at least that initial connection, because it's all about sort of, you know, growing a relationship over time. So, um, you know, so I think there is that value, because I think a lot of us get caught up, I'm guilty of this, in the day to day, um, and, and having to get home after work, whereas you can do more networking in this environment. Um, and so I like that part of it. And I hope that we retain that. I hope that it's okay to have a video chat, you know, once in a while going forward. Um, so, you know, as far as the larger virtual events, like I, I guess for me, I think the breakout sessions are the most important because you get that, you know, you're able to develop a more closer connection. And even if it's not like necessarily topical, right? Even if it's just catching up with people with, you know, who they are, what they do, um, it, you know, you don't have to crack some major code in a breakout session. You know, you could just get to know people, develop that relationship, see who in the six degrees of separation you all know. Uh, so I, I think events that, you know, maybe offer some content, but allow for that engagement on a more intimate level virtually are, are, are the best. Um, and as far as the events that, you know, at the law firms, um, you know, listen, I, I think for me, the most meaningful, you know, is getting tools and hearing experiences. Like you can't be what you can't see, right? And so I think having events where folks tell their stories, I love hearing about people's stories. It just, it just really inspires and invigorates me. And it did when I was a, a junior associate. Like I was very lucky in my career because I saw some pretty awesome uh, folks succeed and be role models and then sort of lend me a hand. Um, and I, I think that makes all the difference. So obviously representation is just so important, but I think, you know, events that really tell stories um, and, 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 and really allow 
associates to understand sort of the challenges and, and the failures, right? Like I, I think sharing the failures that people have had to overcome and how they've overcome them is really helpful because I also think most people, including diverse associates, but I, I think there's some data around diverse associates maybe being harder on themselves too, right? There's just that extra pressure uh, on on that. And like, so seeing folks that have maybe failed uh, and 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 bounced back and 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 pivoted, and so those for me are the most meaningful events to the extent I can connect uh, with folks like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I remember when I was a much younger person, um, you know, working at a big law firm, there were a handful of uh, women partners, um, you know, only a, a couple of whom had children. And um, it really, at least the environments that I was in, was not as uh, um, open. These sort of candid, you know, human conversations were not typical. I mean, you really had to form a close relationship to an individual and then they had to be willing to sort of share that personal aspect of their um, existence with you, right? It wasn't something that was shared openly. And, and I recall the thing that resonated the most for me um, when I was able to establish those relationships was learning people's stories and their paths, right? I think we're sort of groomed as lawyers and type A people generally, right? To think that, you know, it's a very linear path from A to Z, right? And you get to where you are in your career because you've done this and you've checked that box and then you did this and you checked that box and you've done that. And I, I've suffered through that personally and professionally throughout my life. And I've had to really understand that some of the people that I admire and respect most in this world have all not necessarily followed that linear path. You know, they have followed opportunities, they have taken risks, they have failed, they have moved sideways, they have, um, you know, formed relationships where you may not necessarily think one exists. And so um, I say all that to say that I think it is really important when you're trying to connect with your team or a team generally and build that sort of trust uh, and openness and collegiality to sort of allow yourself to be open. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, you have to <laughs> reveal all of your, um, you know, all of your personal uh, information. Although, you know, candidly, I'm pretty much an open book with my team. And so I walk in and if it's a bad day, I'd rather say that right off the bat, like, listen, I'm struggling today. This is what's going on. There's 15 things that are really stressing me out, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. So if something comes out and it doesn't sound right, or if, you know, you think that I should be handling something differently, just gently nudge me and, you know, have some grace and some patience here. And that's the kind of culture that I like to foster, you know, with my team, but I know that there are um, folks that, that don't feel comfortable in that world. And so um, helpful to know, you know, that the, the more personal aspects or sort of the, the intimate connections, you know, are valuable because um, they, they very much are for me as well. And I try to, uh, I try to foster that and encourage programming to be on that more intimate level and human level. Um, as much as possible. Sometimes it's not possible. I and mean, sometimes you're giving, you know, a big presentation and you've got a PowerPoint and you're trying to convey dense and complicated um, law and facts and other things, business, you know, aspects of the business to, to people and you have to kind of stick to the facts. But I think a little bit of humanity injected in there is always, it always keeps the crowd engaged to some extent. Authenticity is underrated, um, and it, it goes a long way to building trust and relationships. So I'm I'm with you on that. And um, I just like to pivot a little bit to uh, the RFP process, and you know, you uh, as with most financial institutions, have created almost a roundtable of firms um, that may or may not, and this is what I'm looking to hear for, for from, of, from you, is whether or not that ability to tell an authentic story has any place in that RFP process. I mean, you know, um, I, you touched on the fact that 
diverse attorneys um, often feel that they've got to prove themselves more, they have a more difficult time. Um, uh, uh, I can say personally that, you know, often telling that personal story isn't really perceived as a part of the equation. Um, and uh, I'm just wondering whether or not that unique story, that diverse perspective, that's, you know, the uh, secret in the secret sauce is incorporated or allowed to sort of um, show itself through the, the RFP process? And if so, you could tell us how. Well, I mean, first and foremost, and, and I think that's a great question and a fair one. I mean, we meet with our outside counsel annually together with our diversity leaders. So, um, you know, that, that meeting includes uh, folks that are focused on this. Um, and so, you know, that story, you know, comes to life in, in, in those meetings um, and, and they're front and center. And, and this is a non-negotiable pass-fail for Capital One, um, you know, like diversity, you know, law firms that don't share our commitment to diversity just can't be in the PPN uh, process. Like there's no, it's just pass-fail. Um, so we're, we're, we're having those conversations annually. And, and candidly, I am seeing folks and firms focus on this and I, I walk, you know, like I'm excited to hear about what, what they're doing. So that's, that's number one, as far as, you know, we're, we're, we're putting color on the data, which is in our dashboard, you know, all the diversity metrics are in our dashboard, but we're going to these meetings and, you know, we're looking who's in the meetings and we're, you know, we're, we're really getting to know the law firms and the teams. And, and also, as we manage our day-to-day -day cases, right? I mean, as, as we staff ourselves with a diverse group of, of, of lawyers, the expectation is that outside counsel do so as well. And I, I think they know that and they understand that. And I think they understand these expectations. Um, you know, when, you know, in early 2020, when, um, you know, we didn't know how sort of the, the, the world was gonna shake out, you know, restructuring, um, you know, was, was pretty hot. And, you know, we didn't know the volumes that we were gonna face or what we were gonna face. And so, I mean, we, my team rounded up all our outside counsel and, and we said, listen, we're entering into this time period right now. And, you know, you are sort of the owners of our, reputation uh, with what you do um, in court or otherwise. And we wanna make sure we're measured reputationally and otherwise. And um, we're only gonna get there if you're staffed up with a diverse you know, team that can offer a variety of different perspectives. Um, so nothing falls flat. And, and so that message was sort of something that we sent at that time where we thought there was a risk um, to, you know, like a serious risk to not having, you know, a, a, a diverse set of lawyers on our matters. Um, and, and so I think that's how you sort of drive the importance and get the story. And then, and then you know, getting to know the lawyers on the matters, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of the most important way to develop the relationships. Um, and I encourage that. I encourage folks, you know, to grab 15 minutes on my calendar, you know, how can I help? you know, are you on partnership track? Like, these are sort of the questions I ask, you know? Um, are you happy? How can I help? Like, so I, I think that's how you sort of move the needle. Um, and, and for me, it's, was done for me. Like, I, that is just how I, I mean, came to be. Like, folks helped me. And I, I appreciated that. And I, I definitely want to pay it forward. And I, I truly believe if we all pay it forward and invest in particular junior associates that um, may need some guidance, um, you know, I remember like me, I mentioned earlier, you know, in the intro that I'm the first person to go to law school in my family. I had no guidance. I'm pretty sure I did everything wrong. Um, and I, I, I was lucky to to work for a partner who I, I don't think for altruistic reasons, I think for economic reasons was very radical in his candor um, about you know, telling me what I did right and wrong. But you know, with that sort of develop my skill set and let me fail in front of clients, right? Um, so I, I, I think that's sort of the way to, to, to go about it. Um, um, interesting, interesting. I, I stay actively engaged with um, 
with the judiciary. And I just wonder, because we've all, at least here in New York, we've assessed how the judiciary and um, its expectations can help facilitate what we've characterized as almost a, a three-legged stool, which involves in-house counsel, uh, outside, count, outside counsel, as well as the judiciary in trying to create, particularly in the litigation space, um, a more inclusive environment where the expectation of having diverse attorneys on the team, in front of the court, um, appear before the judge. I, I, I'm not sure how much you're familiar with the fact that many of uh, the judges, particularly in the commercial division, um, have established written protocols where if there's more than one member on a team, uh, they will then uh, allow the you know one attorney, uh, attorney per client rule to be set aside in order to afford a diverse attorney an opportunity for there to be you know two or more that stand up on a case. Um, and I just wonder, is that factoring in at all in um, uh, the assessments of outside counsel? Um, uh, in the dashboard in you know, assessing these measurements of meeting diversity goals and metrics? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do believe so because I, I think we can see who's working on our matters, right? Um, and, 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 and so it, 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 you know, it's, it's easy to sort of call out when you know, the, the bar isn't, isn't met. Um, so, and, and I think that's great that the um, the courts are are are, are doing that, and I, I think it's important from a training and inclusivity perspective. I mean, it's interesting the and I'm I'm flexible on this on my matters too. Like I understand that maybe there needs to be two or three associates because we're training a, a couple, and and that's again an investment in my outside counsel that's going to pay off, and even on my own team, you know what some may view as inefficient is being inclusive. Like I, I like to include more folks on a call just in case, just, just to get sort of that additional perspective and to also give them that training and exposure to the particular issue that I may be dealing with. Um, even if there's no ask, um, I do try to include the more junior folks on my team on calls that I think might be a good opportunity for them. And, and listen, our clients might have the view why I'm on a call with three lawyers, right? Um, well, you're on the client with three, you're on the call with three lawyers because you know this is your legal team and the future of your legal team. And you know, it's important that all of us are here um, so that we get to know you, you get to know us, and we all understand the issues and 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 talk through them and everyone can offer a view. Um, so I think that type of inclusiveness that you described, Tracy, by, you know, the commercial division um, is important at every level, right? Um, the meetings that are occurring in the hallways of the law firms, you know, offices, hallways of the law firms, the meetings we're having internally, um, you know, inclusivity, I think, helps a lot. No, um, and it's not just, I, it, it's, it's critically important, as you said, to be able to have a collective environment where in-house counsel recognizes that we've got two people standing up rather than just one. And it's not the part lead partner on the case that's doing the entire oral argument. Um, and that the court understands why this is happening so that it's not a perception that the client's interest, which is obviously of utmost importance and takes precedence, is not being sacrificed or compromised in any way. And it, as a matter of um, just pure edification, it's happening throughout the judiciary. It's not just in New York. Um, you know, there's a list floating around out there, I think, that where there's a, a hundred or more judges around the country who've adopted written practice rules, written part rules that um, incorporate this, you know, uh, two attorney, junior or underrepresented attorney being afforded an, an additional opportunity to uh, stand up. So, you know, um, 
we all continue on in just making certain that um, every everyone that is involved is aware of the involvement because I think most oftentimes, you know, something gets lost in the communication between the court, in-house counsel, and um, and outside counsel. So uh, I just I'm glad to hear that it is something that's factored in to the secret sauce that makes the environment more conducive to including. Yeah, and, and listen, as, as a business matter, I, 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 I personally believe we, we leave money on the table when we don't, um, you know, act in this way. Uh, you know, we're giving sort of, giving and getting and complete advice um, and maybe taking, you know, risks or, you know, reputational or legal or otherwise that we haven't appreciated because we're, we're, we're just mm -hmm. missing. Uh, a piece of, of, of the advice, um, you know, and, and, and more importantly, we're gonna miss out on a significant pool of talent um, and tapping, fully tapping into a pool of talent, um, which will help us ultimately bring, you know, bring us further as a legal profession. So it really does need to be the entire legal profession from the judiciary to the law firms, to the in-house counsel, banding together in this way. And I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that, you know, um, we, we, we move the needle over, over time. Um, there definitely feels like there's momentum now. Um, and I think it is a long game. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. I, I'm focused as well on um, the uh, evolution of the financial services market um, in view of the rise of ESG. So I, I can't help but raise that as um, a possible motivation. Has it altered at all um, uh, the DNI approach to uh, inclusiveness, belonging? Um, do you see any impact that this um, rise in utilizing non-economic factors as a business model has had on um, the uh, in-house outside counsel uh, relationship, DNI growth um, in this space? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's certainly, I think it's a natural part of the conversation. And, and I feel like it has been for some time, at least, you know, for me. Um, so I, I, I think it is a natural part of the conversation. It, it's definitely front and center now, but I, I think it has been part of the conversation for some time, but I think there is now more rigor around it, more training around it. People are digging a little deeper uh, to understand, you know, where the gaps are um, and, and really focused um on those so you know I, I in a lot of ways i do think there is more of a focus but i i think the conversation has been going on for some time um so i i also don't think a lot of it is is new at least from my perspective um you know even back at the law firm like i i remember um you know i, I remember there being a focus on on this um and 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 you know, making sure that teams that were working on client matters were inclusive. Um, and, and, and it was that focus that, that gave me the opportunities early on. And, you know, it's even failed, right? Because I didn't, you know, even if I didn't have the experience, I was sort of, you know, put in that room. Um, and that's exactly what needs to happen, right? Because that gave me the experience and developed my skills. So, um, so yeah, so I, I do think there's more of a focus now and I'm hopeful for the future, but I, I do think it's been part of the conversation as well. Certainly at the bank. Well, we're mindful of the time and we very much appreciate this conversation. I feel like we could keep going for <laughs> a long, long time, but I did wanna ask you, um, Elena, just in closing, you know, if there's one thing that you think um, law firms could do or should focus on in the year forward to one thing in particular, or maybe there's a few, I don't know, but what comes to mind for you in terms of where you think the focus should be in making sure that we are truly investing in our diverse talent and, um, you know, 
also engaged fully on that belonging piece. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's a few things that inclusive culture, right? I think culture, you cannot have, a, I mean, culture cannot be broken for a variety of different reasons, right? I mean, uh, DNI being one of them. I think what we've discussed, focus on how assignments are being doled out um, and staffing decisions occur. Um, I think firms should be striving to develop more, not less subject matter experts um, to ensure that substantive opportunities are given to a larger pool of lawyers. Um, you know, and, and making sure that there is sufficient staffing of diverse lawyers um, on their matters so that they can get the experience and showcase their skills um, and, and understand that there is a learning curve and people need to, um, you know, part of the process is, is gaining that experience and maybe making some mistakes and giving that feedback, Tanya, to your, to your point. Um, so yeah, I think that is the most important. I think that the, the, the assignments um, are, are critically important. Um, you know, someone became the go-to, you know, TRO associate because someone gave that person their first TRO. Um, so we need to give more people that first TRO so that they can also become, you know, a go-to. Um, so that's that, that I think is the most important, really, really being mindful of how we're assigning things. I couldn't agree more. You didn't, folks didn't wake up as the TRO expert. Somebody, <laughs> right? <laughs> Boy, that's bringing that's bringing things right to home when you talk about you know especially in the workout space the need to be an expert at the TRO so yeah um, but yeah. it's been it's been fantastic um, we've so much enjoyed having you and uh, starting off the new year with this excellent excellent discussion um, I I don't want to take up any more of your time I just really would like to thank you for just giving us so much insight and jumping off the new year in, in a progressive, prosperous, successful way. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Thanks so much.